0: Hey you guys! Welcome to the Main and Magic Podcast, your stop for all things Disney. I'm your host Dawn Brown and this is episode number 50. Whether you're adventuring in the parks or at home via Disney Entertainment, I'm here to bring you the guests and info that'll pixie dust your experience and we're picking up lots of new friends along the way. You can catch the links to our audio recordings on our website at mainandmagic.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Just search for the Main and Magic podcast. After the show, we invite you to join our community on Facebook to share your thoughts about each topic and to connect with other Disney fans. In this episode, I'm joined by Katie and returning guest, my dad, to celebrate our 50th episode with a look back at the consequential moments in Walt Disney World's 50-year history. We each choose one event from each decade, starting with the 1970s up to present day, that we feel made a remarkable impact on the Walt Disney World Resort. So join us on the red car trolley as we take a ride to the crossroads of Maine and magic. Welcome aboard everybody. Come on up and grab a seat. Uh, We have a super fun episode today. It is our 50th episode, which For those of you familiar or unfamiliar with podcast milestones, 50 is a huge milestone. Like we got past episode 10, which is when most people end their podcasts because they realize it's a lot of work and it's not so easy. But here we are at 50 and we have a really cool topic today. So I'm going to bring on our guests. We have joining us at the front of the red car today. Katie Fisher from Pictures and Postcards Travel. Hello, Katie.
1: Hello, Dawn. Hello, everybody.
0: And a returning guest, my dad, Dale. Hey, Dad. Good to be here. So today we are going to talk about Walt Disney World history, in a sense. Uh, Since this is our episode 50 and they're celebrating their 50th anniversary, we thought it would be fun to go back and look at each decade in Walt Disney World history and pick five consequential moments that we thought made a huge impact on that Disney resort. So we've each picked one thing from each decade. So one from the 70s, one from the 80s, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And we're gonna be talking about what we picked and why we think it was so impactful at Walt Disney World. We're also going to be talking a little bit about the effect of the park's opening. Um, We made a a rule where we couldn't pick a park opening as our consequential moment because it's too obvious. (laughs) And also like that kind of takes up, you know, three decades right there. So um, to start, we're going to talk about like, the effect of opening up Magic Kingdom before we jump into our 1970s pick. But actually, before we even do that, I would love to ask you guys, and Katie, you can go first, which decade was the most difficult to choose a single moment? Um, oh, probably the, probably 2000s. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, what about you, Dad? Which one was which decade was the most difficult?
2: 1970 The 70s. The 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 what I have it's really kind of crosses over, so you you might want to give me a demerit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Katie breaks the rules
0: all the time.
1: All the time. That's why that uh, We Can't Talk About the Park opening was made for me.
0: (laughs) Uh, Was it our our thesis attractions episode? She picked an entire land. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) But, okay, so let's talk a minute about the opening of the Magic Kingdom. We've, you know, we've had Disneyland for, you know, a decade and a half by this point. Or I guess, yeah, it was a decade and a half. And so that's kind of going strong and people kind of understand now what a theme park is and what Walt Disney was talking about. But from each of your own perspectives, and we'll just keep going around. So Katie, we'll start with you. What was so remarkable about the Magic Kingdom And I guess really like the contemporary and the Polynesian all kind of opening at the same time. Like what makes that remarkable in your eyes?
1: I mean, it sounds silly and like the cliche answer, but just the idea of just seeing somebody's dream come true. Like just seeing that this person came up, found this land and basically just built everything and said, yep, we're going to do this. And just kept building on it. And it is what it is today. I mean, those are that magic kingdom is Disney world. And I hear it all the time. Like, Oh, I want to go to Disney world. And um that's the one with the castle. Right. And it's funny because that's how people think about magic kingdom is magic kingdom is Disney world and, you know, get it confused, but it's just seeing somebody's dream that they came up with come true and building that out. Just is awesome.
0: All right, good answer. How about you, Dad? What do you like? What comes to mind about it being remarkable? Because you're the only one of us who's been it, who was there in the seventies.
2: <laughs> yeah, yes, I was alive during all of this. And like real estate, it's location. Uh, this made East Coasters, people from Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. California was a long way away, and this is before everybody jumped on an airplane like it was a taxi cab. So Orlando, it became not always affordable, but reachable. It was a lot closer to your neighborhood. And I think that that was the big significant thing was having, having it somewhere where really a great majority of people could get to.
0: Yeah, I agree. Just, I mean, that's where we always went. And I remember, like, thinking, like, who are these kids that get to go to California? Even in my own lifetime, it was like, that was, like, so far beyond what I could imagine. It was all the way on the other side of the country. So just to be able to get to a theme park in 24 hours, I think, you know, obviously the test run was the World's Fair and it worked and people were into it. And that kind of made it easier for them to say, yeah, we're going to do this. But, you know, and now look, you've got Disney in Europe and Disney in Asia and who knows what they're—well, will they're go next? Uh, OK, so let's jump into our our choice for the 1970s. Katie, Do you want to start us off with what you picked as the remarkable or consequential moment of the 1970s? So for this one,
1: I'm going to let Dale go first, since he was the one that was around for the opening of the 70s. So let's I want I'm interested to hear what he has to say first and then then we can go back
0: around. Oh, sure. Let's pass it on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this was, this was the one thing that was somewhat a crossover. But when I was there in 78, we had the adventure books, E-tickets, D-tickets, you know, A-tickets, which t- nobody ever used. Uh, there's a lot of those left. And right after we left, they started experimenting with you on weekends only they had special passes where um, you just pay the fee to get in and you can go anywhere you want on any ride you want. They didn't make it official until like early 1980s, but it was the experiment, the first experiment of that kind, because every fair you went to, you got tickets. This was the first time anybody said, you know, you pay this price at the gate and you can go anywhere you want. So it was... Late seventy eight, it might have been seventy-nine when they started it, but they were only doing it on weekends for the first year or so. And then um remember my sister telling me about it, she said it's cool now. You just buy a ticket, you don't have to carry the book around, you can just go wherever you want. So you didn't have to you, and you can go on the same ride multiple times without using up all your tickets, which was another real key thing. So that was the that was the one thing that stuck out in my mind when I started Boy, it's, made, it's amazing when you start thinking of things, what comes back. But but that I think really really set things up. It made them different than every other park. Every other park was still giving out tickets.
0: That is such a good answer. I literally did not think of that. Wow. Yeah, because they officially moved over to like what they called like the passport when Epcot opened. And they were experimenting before Epcot opened and, and also at Disneyland. And then when Epcot opened, they just went they just went to that one. You pay a fee to get into the park and you can do whatever you want. And you don't have to worry about tickets and buying more tickets and all of that stuff. So, oh, that is such a good answer.
2: When I went the first time, it was like $3.75 or something. Some, I know it was an odd sense to get in, but that didn't. I could do it now, watch everybody else go on rides, I guess. It got you in so you could walk around. But you needed to have that book to go on everything. So, you know, and then people kind of pick and chose what they did. But it was, it was funny because you didn't want to waste an E-ticket. If you went on Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, and you really loved it and wanted to do it again, you were going to have to waste another E-ticket, and that was going to mess you up later on down the line, you wouldn't be able to go on 20,000 leagues. This opened it up to, you know, depending on the crowds, you could do everything four times if you felt like it. Oh, so good. Katie.
1: Man. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good answer. Um, so I went with a 1974 attraction. Show. Show. I went with a hoop to review. Wow. <laughs> Did you see that one coming? No. <laughs> um, so, The Hoop Duty Review is considered one of the longest continuously running musical musicals in American theater history. I can remember seeing it in 1993 when I was 11. And it's at Fort, Wild, uh, Fort Wilderness in Pioneer Hall, for anyone who's not familiar with it. And... My dad had the old school video camera, right? Videotaping the show. And of course, you videotaped everything. I mean, we were there for 10 days, 11 days, and we had about 300 hours of videotape for the week. <laughs> you know, everything was videotaped. Um, oh, yeah. Everything. Like, Shout oh, out, well. Dad. <laughs> like, yeah. um, but it's funny because, like, going back and watching the video when we got home, my dad's hand did and sit still, like the video it would make you seasick watching it now because he was constantly just <laughs> shaking from laughing so hard, and being eleven, I didn't get it like it was it was fun we got we got cornbread, we got strawberry shortcake, like woohoo it was delicious um but as I got older and we watched it, it was hilarious, like I got it. And you don't you don't appreciate the quote-unquote dad jokes in the show when you're 11 years old. Seeing it as an adult, it was hysterical. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> um, so I, I just – I the whole show itself, it's just great. And a funny story about it – I'm going to – side note, you can cut out me pausing for tears here. But um, so a funny story about it is when we went – sometime in the 2000s, we went to see it. And it was um, my sisters, my parents, I think my sister brought Chris with her and Michael was with us. And we got reservations for it. And my dad's like, we have to get there two hours before to get in line. Otherwise, we're going to lose our spot. We have to get there. So we, you know, had our break day and we did whatever and, and, got on the bus and went over to the Magic Kingdom and took the boat over to Fort Wilderness and walked over to Pioneer Hall and we sat there in the sun because, as everyone knows, we go in August. (laughs) Sat there in the heat for two hours waiting only to find out that our tables are reserved and we could have showed up 10 minutes before our reservation (laughs) and not had to worry about it. So... Um, you know, got some good memories like that. So it was really, this one was probably the, when I, when I was going through the things that did happen each decade, this was a no brainer for me to pick this one. So
0: I like it. Yeah. And we've been multiple times. I I mean, I don't know how many times I've been, maybe three or four times. I never Mm -hmm. get sick of it. And you think about, you know, it's been open all these years, how many generations have you know, ventured over there and experienced it just from word of mouth, just from people saying, yes, it's going to take you an hour and a half to get there. It's a pain in the butt, but you have to do it. And people wander over there and do it. And they all come out saying the same thing. That show is freaking awesome. And I can't wait to do it again. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Also they have excellent cornbread. So. Oh my gosh. So good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a huge cornbread fan, but there's something going on over there in that kitchen that makes it so good. So, okay, cool. Well, so far we do not have any matches because my choice for the 1970s was the opening of Space Mountain. Solid pick. Yeah. It, it took me it took me a minute because I, I had another thing, but I felt like it was kind of cheating. So I thought, you know, Space Mountain is it's an iconic roller coaster. I feel like so many of us, that was like our first roller coaster, you know, like we just went for it, this roller coaster in the dark. (laughs) But it opened um, in 1975. And this was a big deal too, because they had been trying to work on a space themed attraction like thrill attraction when walt disney himself was alive and he sort of pitched this idea and they finally were able to make it happen and so walt disney world has the first space mountain all of the other space mountains that exist out there in the world came after ours um and you can tell that ours was the first version because it has the uh like toboggan style seating like where they're it's only one person across. One person sits behind the other, sits behind the other. Whereas at it? Disneyland, it's a duel. So two people per row. So they kind of upgraded it for Disneyland. But this was a big deal because this was the first thrill ride, like really, at Magic Kingdom. So they had a huge... In the first few years that Magic Kingdom was open, like they did okay on attendance, but this is like... This attraction brought people in in droves and they made a huge deal out of it. They had this big dedication with the chairman of RCA, which was the sponsor at the time. Uh, The CEO of Disney at the time was Don Tatum. They had an astronaut come in. There was like a band, like a 2000 piece band fireworks. Like they went big. And of course, of course, it was on the wonderful world of Disney because <laughs> you have to always be advertising. But I thought it was funny for those of you guys out there that watched the Behind the Attractions show on Disney Plus, they had Imagineer John Hench on there and he was—he said he followed the first ride and waited for when the people disembarked and one lady got out and she knelt to the, the ground and kissed the carpet. <laughs> So that just tells you, like, you know, I know we, now we have like Expedition Everest and you know, um, what the New Guardians of the Galaxy and all these things that are like a you know a little heavier thrill ride. But back in 1975, this had this had women getting out of the ride, kissing the carpet. They were that like <laughs> affected by, you know, the thrill of it. So we might think it's like this silly little roller coaster now that we go on with our you know just barely 48 inch kids but back then it was a big deal so I think it increased the attendance at the park and it brought thrill rides to Walt Disney World and that was my pick for the 1970s. (laughs) I like it.
2: I wish that guy could have been there when I got off bleeding. Would have been great to see his face. I knew when
0: I said Space Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, One thing
2: about Space Mountain was it was darker than it is now. I swear they've lit it up. When we rode it in 78, you couldn't see the track at all. Now you can see the track here and there. It was dark, dark. So you had no idea which way. You'd lean to the left and it would turn in the wrong direction. You were trying to guess where it was going and we were always wrong. It was super cool, but it was a (laughs) lot darker back then.
0: Yeah, I've heard mom say that too. So I know they've added like light packages and things over the years and upgrades with the computers and all that stuff. So, but cool. Okay. Okay, we're going to jump into the 1980s. So we have to talk about the opening of Epcot and how this was such a big deal because Walt came up with the concept of Epcot. Of course, the concepts that he had in mind is vastly different from what we ended up with. But, you know, they tried, and I think they did a pretty good job because over the years, it's just getting better and better. Although I know there's debate about it now which we'll get into on a future episode, (laughs) I promise (laughs) but let's talk about Epcot's effect on Walt Disney World in in general Dad, do you want to go first? Because I was uh, Katie was six months old when this opened and I was (laughs) still in diapers So
2: (laughs) This made Disney World a destination unto itself. Um, when you have one park, like people went out to California to Disneyland. They went to Disneyland for the day, much like people will go to an amusement park for the day. Uh, they were in California. There were other things. You go to the beach one day, you do this, you make a whole vacation out of it. But this made Disney World a destination unto itself. You could go there for a week, You could take four days and split up because Epcot has two sides. And with the Magic Kingdom, you could easily fill up four days and have a couple days at the resort pool and everything. So I think that it now made it when people were looking at going from Michigan or Ohio or New York or whatever, they didn't have to say, "Okay, we're going to go to Disney World. And then what are we going to do? You know, you're not going to drive all the way down there. Then what are you going to do? Well, now you're like, all right, we've got we've got the hotel with the pool. We've got two parks. It's going to take us, you know, if two days. We'll go crazy one day and then go back another day and do the ones we really liked again. So I, I really think it it opened it up. And obviously, every park coming after that expanded on that. But I think this really put them to where they were different than anywhere else. They didn't have to share the crowd. With anyone else.
0: True, the only other thing around was
2: Cypress Gardens. And I went there before they closed it. It was kind of lame and cool all at the same time. <laughs> oh goodness!
0: Okay, Katie, what is it? What do you? What are your thoughts on like the opening of Epcot and how that affected Disney World?
1: I. I agree. I like that it it definitely did become a destination. It became that that place to go. Um, I 100% agree with what Dale said. I like that it... I mean, and even how it is now. How it is now, minus the past two years of fixing. Um, But you have Magic Kingdom, which is kids-oriented... And then you go over to Epcot and it includes the parents now too. So now you're really making this a family destination where, yes, there's still stuff for kids to do at Epcot, but it is something that the parents can enjoy. And just all the inclusion of all the different countries. And I know the different countries didn't open all right away, but um, as it began to grow, including all of those different countries and seeing how they do things differently, It added to that what Disney World means, basically.
0: And don't forget River Country was there, too. So now you've got, you know, like you said, the hotel. You can hang out at the hotel. You can go to Magic Kingdom, which now I think generally considered a day and a half or a two-day park, as well as Epcot. So you've got all these different, you know, three different parks technically to go to, plus your hotel, plus... There was also a shopping village at the time, although it wasn't very popular. But um, yeah, I think Epcot had a lot of issues (laughs) in the beginning, but they eventually found their way. And I do think that it gave them an opportunity to show that they could go just beyond what had been seen at the World's Fair, like they could go bigger than that. I think we all love Epcot in our own way, which, like I said, we will be talking about on a future episode. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump into the 1980s. Katie, do you want to keep going in the same order? You You want Dad to go first? Yeah, that's fine. You can go first. Okay, Dad, you can go first and tell us what you picked for the 1980s
2: big thunder mountain railroad there was they only had one roller coaster in the park uh that end there was nothing there Pickle spills and then you know you would literally run from the pirates as fast as you can and make a button hook around to get to the next ride which was way over there or the next attraction uh and i think when they put Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in it anchored that corner, uh, great for ca- crowd control. Another ride, the lines were two hours long for that. It's not a big coaster, but uh, people loved it. Uh, and 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 not long after Splash Mountain came in, well, actually, is quite a ways longer for Splash Mountain in uh, California was before here, but but that made a big difference. But I think because that gave them two two roller coasters, and it puts something in that corner to make that corner worthwhile. I, I think that was probably the biggest thing that they did in the park for a while.
0: Yeah, uh, Big Thunder Mountain opened late 1980. I actually looked yep. this up yesterday because I, I couldn't remember if it was still in the 70s, but yeah, it was late 1980, and then um, Splash Mountain was like 89 I want to say but yeah like they it just ended there like the park just ended <laughs> so they like extended it around and now you have a roller coaster that's in the exact opposite corner from Space Mountain so like you said it spreads out the crowd yeah as they opened up
2: it makes a difference
0: okay Katie what about you what did you think?
1: I went with the late 80s, 1989 to be exact, uh, the opening of Pleasure Island. So Pleasure Island, as we all know, insert sad face emoji, is closed. <laughs> um, but it was in the then downtown Disney shopping area. And it was the entertainment. And I, I really liked it. I mean, even when... I believe we went the first year in 93, we had to have, it was, in, we had it where it was included in our ticket, but it was a really cool way to you spend the whole day in the park and then you go. And yes, I wasn't old enough to enjoy any of the bars, um, but to kind of hang out and, you know, go to the different clubs. So there were a bunch of different clubs that they had, but my favorite part about it was the new year's new year's eve celebration every night at midnight with firework show and a parade and i just thought it was awesome and everybody loves the adventurers club kongleur everybody um but i don't know i've always every time it was open i could always remember going there when we were on the college program i remember getting on the bus and going to downtown disney or going to um pleasure island for the night again still wasn't old enough to drink and really enjoy it but it was just a lot of fun it was it was a way to unwind at the end of the night and i really liked that
2: and they killed it
0: yeah they built that yeah (laughs) they actually michael eisner wanted that there because so many people were leaving property at the end of the night to go downtown Orlando to Church Street Station and he didn't want them to leave the area he wanted he he wanted that for himself so so that's how we ended up with Pleasure Island but yeah I, I really enjoyed it too obviously but you know, they, they obviously made big changes to it and got rid of it. And now we have Disney Springs and that's okay. But I think it was a good way to usher in like, you don't have to leave property. You can stay here and we have everything that you need.
1: I do like, so um, they had at the West end, they had the West end stage and they used it for events and everything and figuring out my information I learned a bunch of different bands that actually got to perform on the West End stage, and I'm totally jealous. There was New of the Block, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, uh, NSYNC was there, Savage Garden was there, Christina Aguilera, Duran Duran, just to name a few. Like, how did I miss this? Oh my
0: god. Wow, it's like a two thousands time capsule. Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! I well, the thing that I really there's two things from there that I really miss. Obviously, one of them is the Adventurers Club. If you got to go, you understand, and we don't need to continue speaking about it. May it rest in peace. The other one was the Comedy Warehouse because that place was freaking awesome.
1: Yeah, it was.
2: Yeah, we we that was one of our must do. I remember going with um, with your mother, just the two of us, and it was great because for us, we'd go down, we could have a few drinks. We knew there was a bus taking us back to our room, so there was no danger, uh, and we could go in. We'd always go to the comedy club and just walk the streets and people watch, and uh, you know, go maybe go in the one place paid uh, like like, I don't know, 70s music or, you know, disco. And we went in and we'd dance for two songs and then move on and go to another bar. But it was, as an adult, it was safe. You could go there, you could have a good time. It was controlled. And then you didn't have to drive. You get on a bus because we stayed on property then. You know, obviously that's part of the problem too is <laughs> there were a lot of cars in the parking lot and people were driving them home. So I get why they sort of wanted to stop that. Oh, yeah. Just a
0: line of police cars out there every
2: night. Yep.
1: (laughs) I remember when I took Dan to Disney for his first time in 2004, we purchased tickets for Pleasure Island just to go to the Adventurers Club. We didn't go into another club. We spent the whole night just in the Adventurers
0: Club, which was really cool. Well, I'm glad you did that before it closed. Just a few years later, <laughs> uh, I never. We never went. Yeah, you did. You you went and
2: you you did. I took you in there. But we never spent any time in there. We never went in and had drinks and did whatever you guys do there. It's like a secret club. Yeah, no, it's
0: yeah, it's <laughs> like a whole like four hour experience. Like if you're gonna do it, it's a whole thing, <laughs> but. Okay, so I think this was the most difficult generation or decade, rather, for me to choose something. So I'm going to say my pick, but I'm also going to say another pick because I am the host and I can do what I want. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing that I ultimately picked was the opening of Caribbean Beach Resort which was in October of 1988. And the reason that I picked this is because this is the first moderate resort that opened at Walt Disney World. So up until 1988, only deluxe resorts existed except for Fort Wilderness campgrounds. So if you think back Uh, You know, there's probably a lot of you out there, your first trip might have been because all of a sudden there was a moderate resort and you could afford to go and stay in a Disney hotel. And, you know, going forward now, obviously, we have a, a bunch of moderate resorts and they've since opened value resorts. But this was this was the first moderate resort. And I just think like monetarily speaking, A lot of those people that were staying off property, maybe in Kissimmee, because they couldn't swing, you know, a night, a couple of nights at Contemporary or the Polynesian or the Grand Floridian or some of these other ones that were opening around that time. Now, all of a sudden, they could stay in a Disney hotel and it kind of changed the game for Disney going forward. So that was my pick. But I do also want to mention because Katie, you'll appreciate this. Mm-hmm. In the 1980s is when the Disney college program started.
1: That was <laughs> Which almost is
0: obviously pick. a huge, remarkable, consequential moment in the history of Walt Disney world, because thousands and thousands of Disney college program kids go through the parks every year now and are writing that on their resume and saving disney a lot of money because they don't have to pay for health insurance and <laughs> they also don't even really have to pay you minimum wage so it's you yeah, know would you work
2: three three jobs when you were there yeah
0: <laughs> Just about we're not going to talk about how i had <laughs> other jobs besides my college program job <laughs> but um yeah, so I did, I did just want to mention that. But, yeah, no, I think the opening of Caribbean Beach Resort was huge, made a huge effect on, on the property going forward.
2: Well, our first trip was at a, quote, moderate. The Port Orleans, and, and when, you're, when you're trying to take a family of four down there, moderate isn't that moderate. <laughs> It's still a lot of money. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. But you save on a rental car. There's ways that it makes up for itself a little bit, but it's a little bit different now. There was a lot bigger price differences back then than there are now between the moderate and the deluxe and the value. But yeah, so that was my pick. Um, for the night for the 1980s okay we're gonna swing around to the 1990s so obviously we have two park openings well actually the studios opened in 1989 so like just on the verge of the 1990s so before we jump into the 1990s let's just talk about the opening of the studios really quick and what was your perspective on that Were you guys surprised, like, oh, my God, they're opening a third theme park? Or, you know, what were your thoughts about them opening Disney MGM Studios in 1989? Dad, you can go first.
2: Uh, Well, when we were in California, we went to Universal. So when they had announced that they were going to open up this MGM Studios at the time, um, I thought, all right, again, again... Disney doesn't want to leave any money on the table. They don't want you going anywhere else. This, this was a big thing. And so many people are, you know, involved in movies, you know, I mean, entertainment's a big thing. So we went there and we went, you could go in and actually watch them do animation. They had all sorts of tours. Um, some of that stuff I think has been stopped, but, um, but when they opened it, it was that was one of the, one of the ones we wanted to go to as soon as we could get there. Because I'm kind of a movie guy, so I was really interested to see how they uh, put this together.
0: Katie, I I
1: agree. I agree with the whole universe. You know, you're comparing it to Universal, especially now in in Florida. You have Universal. So why send somebody to the movies when we can have the movies? Um but I do like that it it basically started bringing more of, again, the whole world concept. So now you have the magic, you have the fun, you have for kids, you have the world, you have the different countries, your future, and now we're bringing the movies into it. And you're kind of getting this whole glimpse of these are all things that make the world work, in a sense. But I, I really liked, you know how it brought the movies to life and definitely the animation and seeing the animation. Um, And as the years went on, you actually could go and do the animation and learn to draw, which you can still do now at animal kingdom. But yeah, I just, I liked that. It kind of started bringing everything together, making it more for each different member of your family, somebody who might be into thrill rides or movies for that matter.
0: The the thing that stands out to me is Tower of Terror, which was not there when they first opened the park. So we didn't go till like the mid-90s to the studios. So when the first park or when the park first opened, Sunset Boulevard did not exist. So just imagine when you walk in the entrance and you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard towards Man Chinese Theater that road that goes down to the tower of terror wasn't there. It was woods or swamp or whatever. (laughs) Um, And it was considered a half day park because about the same time, really just a month later, Typhoon Lagoon opened. So they thought, Oh, people will go to Typhoon Lagoon for half the day. And then they'll go to the studios for half the day. And they wanted it to be more of like an operational studio where they were going to film movies and all this stuff. And then people were going there thinking it was going to be a full day park. And, they were kind of disappointed. (laughs) So then they built out Sunset Boulevard. But I remember like seeing the commercials for Tower of Terror on the TV and just like wanting to do it so bad. And and of course, the Tower of Terror billboard that they had on the side of the road, which they shamelessly just took down is so sad. (laughs) But so that's like what stands out to me the most. But I did love that park, like, the way that it was when it first opened, even though it was, it, it, it this park has kind of been in an identity crisis for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think in my mind, like, it's crazy that they had two parks, and they opened a third park, so go Disney, I guess, just keep building out as much as you possibly can. Um, okay, so let's, jump into our nineties picks here. I'm super interested to see what everybody came up with. Cause this is kind of when I start really having very clear, vivid memories of Walt Disney world. And Same. I have more opinions about things that have happened from this time on. So, uh, dad, let's start with you. What was your pick for the 1990s?
2: Hi, this is, this is because I'm a dad and I always paid the bill. Um, All-Star Sports Open, that was the first one, value. So now you don't have to go every two years. You can afford to go every year. Um, I kind of have a caveat to that because we've stayed at a lot of resorts there. We've jumped around just some some expensive, some value. We've stayed at, I think, All-Star Sports, All-Star Music, um, All-Star Movies, Pop Century, but they also started, at the, in that time, length of stay passes. So if you got to your room at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday, you could go straight to the park for four or five hours before they closed. And if your flight wasn't leaving until 5, you could go to the park until 2 in the afternoon and still make it to the airport. Uh, so, and, and that was for somebody who's traveling with a bunch of kids and family and all that, um, the value parks and that length of stay really made it where when somebody would tell me Disney's expensive, I'm like, you've got to get your calculator out. You don't need a rental car. You're staying right on property. Everything is there. Once you're there, you don't have to just stop thinking. You go to breakfast, walk out, get on a bus, they're going to take you somewhere, get off, have fun. It's And there's no break in it now with the length of stay. So that was, those years were, I thought, for us, it's probably the best vacations, the easiest.
0: Dang, that's another good one. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that, like, in terms of this. But, yeah, I want to change my answer.
1: I know. Length of stays were definitely the way to go. They were the best thing ever. It was a sad day when they got
2: rid of those. And and I still don't understand. If I go in at three o'clock in the afternoon and go on three or four rides, chances are we end up in the Emporium and my wife and kids sucker me into spending 150 bucks. I don't see where it costs them anything to end that. But I do understand crowd control and a lot of people in the parks. So maybe they need to build a sixth and seventh (laughs) Mm -hmm. just a suggestion
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh katie what did you choose for the 90s
1: this was the easiest uh the easiest one for me 1994 the opening of sunset boulevard
0: Oh, nice. I'm so right? glad someone said it because it was on my list and then I changed it to something else. It was between that and something else. So we almost had the same answer. I, Good for I, you.
1: I could not not pick this. And I mean, for reasons that you already explained at the start of the 90s decade here, um, for me, the reason for picking it was because this is where I started my Disney career. This is where I worked. This was home. Every time I go to Hollywood Studios now, MGM Studios, I take a picture on Sunset Boulevard. I always wear my Disney alumni shirt. Like Sunset Boulevard is home. It is where I met my best friend. It is where I met friends that taught me a lot about life, that I had some of the best memories of my life on Sunset Boulevard. There was no way I couldn't pick this.
2: Don always talks about it.
0: I was just going to say, shout out, Beth and Chris and Steve and all y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Definitely. I mean, and you have – there was so much to – to, so, you know, we did food and beverage, quick service. You're in Hollywood Scoops where you are taste testing, quality controlling the cookies and cream ice cream to – so funny story. That was not a thing.
0: She's making not, that up. <laughs> no.
1: Um, but really, <laughs> so a quick funny story. So a lot of people don't know this. So back in, in Buffalo at home, we have a, a Buffalonian thing, if you will. It's Ted's Hot Dogs. And I worked there for eight years of my life. And I actually worked there prior to my internship took a leave of absence from there, went down to my internship. So I worked at a hot dog place where in Buffalo, we cook the hot dogs over open flame charcoal. Like it was a whole thing. It like, that's how you eat a hot dog is you cook it over charcoal. I'll never forget my first day working into Toluca Turkey legs where they sold the hot dogs and they bring the pan in with the hot dogs and the water and somebody orders a hot dog. And I'm like, what do you do? You have to take it out of the water and you put it on the bottom. I'm like, oh, no, I can't do this. <laughs> this is sacrilegious. This is not how a hot dog should be <laughs> served at all. So it's a little bit scarred on that, but, yes, that is my answer. I'd buy a turkey leg
2: <laughs> and my whole family would walk away from me like they didn't know me.
1: Oh, I only wanted the turkey leg for the skin. <laughs>
2: No, that's gross. That's (laughs) disgusting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, I'm glad somebody picked that because that was a big thing. Big park expansion. And it's still very iconic. So, okay. I picked the Millennium Celebration. Very nice. So, this... I mean, it started in the 90s. It started October 1st, 1999. It bumped itself into 2001, but it started in 1999,
1: so I can pick it. <laughs> uh, That's fair. That's not cheating.
0: To me, this this stands out to me very specifically. It, it was really happening in all four parks, but mostly it was happening in Epcot. Like, they had, like, very little things in other parks, mostly, like, merch you could buy with the 2000 logo on it. But this was really happening at Epcot. And to me, I feel like this is when Epcot really started getting its stride. Like, it kind of started really discovering who it was. I, it just kind of brought everything together in a very cohesive way. So Illuminations, Reflections of Earth was the best show ever at Epcot. And I think, you know, there's been different versions of it since the one for the Millennium celebration, but they're generally pretty close to each other. And from what I've heard from people that have seen Harmonious, Harmonious is great, but it's not Illuminations Reflections of Earth. (laughs) So just the messaging in that, show and like the music and they had done surveys and people said that that was their favorite experience at Epcot. So like they nailed it because people were going to the park and they were having a great day and then they had this show at the end of the day and people were like, oh my God, that was, we had all these amazing experiences, but the thing at the end was the thing that like, you know, cemented it in for us so to me that just kind of like brought everything that Epcot was together into one thing. And I feel like, you know, they had the Kidcot things going and it was just like, it just became, it went from this park where there was like separate things. Like you go to the living seas, you go to communicor, you go to test track, you go to, it went from being all these separate things to like very threaded together and intertwined like it just to me it just brought it all together and it was super interactive the tapestry of nations parade oh my god like I know they do not I loved that Epcot World Showcase has the same problem that Animal Kingdom has where it's like you want a parade but also you don't want a parade (laughs) because there's no room like there's just not enough room for a whole parade but That parade was so good. The puppets were amazing. In fact, the guy who designed the puppets for that parade, uh, his name is Michael Curry. He also designed the puppets for the Broadway show, the, the Lion King Broadway show. So like master puppet designer guy, the music from the parade, just everything. Like I just felt like Epcot was like it discovered itself during that celebration and I feel like that changed people's perspective of what Epcot was going forward and since then you you can see like the crowds have gone up you know and also around that time they started doing the festivals like food and wine festival and flower and garden festivals so it, it was just like you have all of these extra things now and people are starting to understand what you're all about and like that they can have all these different experiences there. And it made it more of a destination when it had kind of been struggling for a while. So that was my pick.
2: I have two other things from the nineties that were most people don't even think about it. But um, when Disney acquired ABC, ABC, which got them ESPN. I mean, I own Disney stock. That was that was something that was, at the time, uh, you know, when a company that owns amusement parks can buy ABC for $19 billion, a lot of people sat up and said, wow, the mouse has that much money? So that was rather significant for the company. And then the other one, which... Uh, to get thousands and thousands of mail, um, this is people weren't doing a lot of emailing. They were actually mailing letters because you closed a ride. Caught everybody off guard. It was on the news. <laughs> it was on the news. Yep. I mean, you know, what ride is it?
1: What ride is it? Haha,
2: just kidding. Mr. Toes <laughs> wild ride. I
1: know.
2: I know. It, she, she they literally <laughs> and they got thousands and thousands of letters, and they were they it, it they were at somewhat confused about the whole thing. They stuck it out though. They got rid of the ride. I mean they they had their vision, but um, but I think it woke them up to the fact that you know to some people you're just more than an amusement park. This isn't just about rides. It's about memories. Which you know, it it puts And ironically about half of those letters were from
1: Michigan.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, there were a few probably. What were you saying, Katie? I said
1: about half of those letters were from
0: Michigan, right? Yeah. For shame. Dishonor on you and dishonor on your cow. (laughs) You know, you know. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, obviously, the end of the 90s, we have the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom on Earth Day in 1998. Thoughts on that? Because to me, that was just like, wow, four parks? What? (laughs) Like, at this point, I don't even know what is reality anymore. But I mean, we were We had already been going, you know, the first time we went and did length of stay, there was only three parks. So, Dad, what were your thoughts about them opening Animal Kingdom? And, like, what did you feel like that was going to mean for the parks going forward?
2: Well, I thought it was cool because the way they set it all up. You know, although they'll tell you it's not a zoo, it's a zoo. Um, But just the way that they they set it up for the animals – where people are going to go in and interact and um, and I, I like well being an outdoors guy I like the fact that everything they did looked like it was supposed to look um, you know I've read so many books on Africa I'm now been there multiple times but when you go that's the thing that that Disney's always done though you know if you go to their resorts, and you go to the Wilderness Lodge or you go to, you know, any of them, the Port Orleans, they're really authentic in what they do. And I just thought the way they put it together, the way the buildings looked, everything was, um, it, it was great. I mean, it's it's as good as it could be.
0: Katie, thoughts?
1: Uh, I was going to start with saying it's not to zoo. <laughs>
0: um <laughs>
1: No, I uh, when it first opened, I I didn't get it. Not that I didn't get it. It was a half-a-day park for me. Like, that park was my half-a-day park. Great, yep, you did the safari, saw the giraffes, cool, you rode, did this. So you this, weren't what...
0: particularly excited about it or not no, necessarily care about no, it? No,
1: I, I was okay with getting in there and leaving at 2 o'clock and having the rest of the day somewhere else. As... It started evolving, and the different things that there are now. I actually, it's it's probably my favorite park currently. So <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I do like it. I, I did. I, it is. I, I don't know if having a young son who's into animals has anything to do with that. Um, Putting a different perspective on it, but when it first opened, I just I don't know. I was.
0: Meh. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> it's well, obviously, I to. was excited about it and couldn't yes. wait to go get a job there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, I, I really was. I, I remember thinking like, oh, my God, a fourth park like was going on. Are they just going to buy up all of Orlando? <laughs> you know, and I know they have still a ton of land that they can build on. But it, it just seemed like outrageous to me. Like, my God. Have you ever even heard of such a thing? That's crazy, but absolutely loved it. So, okay, that kind of brings us into the 2000s now. So we're going to do from 2000 to 2000, you know, the end of 2009, the the 20 aughts, if you will. Uh, So, Dad, I'm going to have you go first, and you can tell
2: us your pick for this decade. They acquired Marvel. Greatest thing they ever did. Changed, changed everything.
0: It opens the door for the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind
2: for sure. Well, you know, and from the marketing standpoint, with all the movies that they've done, it's talk about cash flow. You you've got Captain America, you've got all the you know the Spider Man, you get all these movies going, and then you have uh, you obviously sell merchandise. So I think that that, I think that really anchored them into the entertainment because it was, when you're dealing with Marvel, you're dealing with grown-up cartoons. You know, they started out with Mickey Mouse, a little mouse. It was kind of a kid's thing. Uh, But this, this really broadened their market.
0: Yeah, and I hope uh, Universal, it it looks like maybe they're going to let it go. We could see more Marvel stuff at Walt Disney World before too yeah. long because there there's contract renegotiations coming up soon. And uh, let, let's all cross our fingers <laughs> that that goes exactly the way we want it to. <laughs> but for sure. Well, I know we're all obsessed. We've all seen every movie. Okay, Katie, how about you? 20-aughts, what you got? Uh,
1: I'm going to continue on with your 1990 selection and I'm going into the 100 years of magic. Um so nice. this right <laughs> um this was the celebrating the 100th anniversary basically Walt Disney's 100th birthday. So we talked about I know we talked about it in an earlier episode but I just I thought it was great and making people's dreams come true basically. First of all, the main thing was the opening of the Sorcerer Hat, which did happen uh, while we were there, while we were working on our internship. So that was kind of cool. That kind of helped narrow my decision for the 20 odds down. But just the fact that they were celebrating the life of this person and giving these things away, and I never got picked for any of it. We, again, talked about it. My sister did. She does not. Oh, are you talking about
0: Year of a Million Dreams?
1: No, hundred year, hundred years of magic. Didn't they do? They did that then too,
0: didn't they? No, they did more. I know they did some interactive things. Oh, you're right. Like I think maybe mickey Yeah, Year of a Million Dreams. But no, that's still you're still in the right decade though. I I want to say that was. Two thousand six, two thousand five. We did an episode on it. Yeah, um, I can put it in the show notes. It was one of our earlier episodes, but yeah. It was, well, it's hard to say what year it was because they kept extending. They it. kept extending it, right? <laughs> but, Which but yeah, and then it they extended this. Two thousand five, two thousand six. But yeah, no, that's such a good pick, though. Well, really, both of those. Right, I, you, you so can well, pick both of those. Well, I pick
1: both. <laughs> I pick both. Okay, I pick both. Um. But the different parades that they had for this, and then going into the celebration, all of that. So, tapestry of dreams was tapestry of nations. Loved that. That music from that show lives on in my head. I love it. Yeah. Uh, those oh are yeah, my that's opinions.
0: right. Because in early two thousand one, they changed the the parade from the millennium celebration was tapestry of nations, and mm-hmm. they changed it to tapestry of dreams. And that was part of the Hundred Years of Magic. Yes. Uh, what was the celebration?
1: most, aside from the costumes, since you brought up this parade earlier, you're the most iconic float on that parade, do you remember?
0: I, I don't, do you have a specific one in mind?
1: The drums. The drum on the wheel, where he just kept playing the drum as the wheel went around.
0: Yeah, the that drums was cool. Moved. I mean they had like forty puppets too. Yes. There there was yes. there was a lot going on in that thing. And like all the costumes, lots of flowing fabric. Yes, there were <laughs> lots of flowing fabric. But yeah, no, the drum the drum thing was really cool. Yeah, no, those are good picks. Hundred Years of Magic, which was centered at the studios. And yes, they put the hat up. I have pictures of them building it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's when they, they opened um, one man's dream, one man's dream. Yep. And Michael Eisner was in the park a lot that year. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, but yeah, the year of a million dreams was amazing. Also very popular and brought droves of people to the park. So those are good. Those are good choices. I went in a completely different direction. <laughs> I I guess I have a thing for resorts because I picked the opening of the Animal Kingdom Lodge, which was April 16th, 2001. And the reason that I picked this is because of what Katie said (laughs) about not caring about the park. (laughs) I feel like when they opened this resort, it legitimized Animal Kingdom in a way because now you have a, you know, theoretically authentic African resort where you can go get a room and see animals in the morning, you know, or while you're there throughout the day in the evening, before you go to bed, you can talk to cultural representatives from different countries and you have more adventurous fare in the restaurants. You know, you've got Boma and and all these different ways that you can experience more of what's going on in Animal Kingdom, but at your resort, I feel like it legitimized Animal Kingdom. Also, it added something extra to this corner of the Walt Disney World resort, because Animal Kingdom is kind of just out there. <laughs> and I know they consider like the all star resorts to be Animal Kingdom resorts. But even those are kind of like, they're offset, you know, it's not, it's not, they're not animal kingdom resorts the way that yacht and beach club or Epcot resorts. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're still way away from animal kingdom. So I feel like this made that corner of the resort, something unique and special. I feel like it legitimized animal kingdom in a way because it, it was complimentary to the park and the experience that you could have in the park. And it is a truly unique experience. Like you cannot, I'm sorry, but there's no resort in Walt Disney world where you're going to have an experience. Like you'll have an animal kingdom Lodge. So if there, I don't even know if there's a resort. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I almost lost my mind when we stayed there. I know that you and Nick laugh about me running around like a crazy person talking to people, but that was, that was and is probably my favorite resort to stay at.
0: Yeah, it is a really
2: nice resort.
0: I, yeah, I don't know if you can have an experience like that anywhere in the country besides there. Like if you can't go to Africa, but you want to have the experience of going to Africa let me point you to Animal Kingdom Lodge. Here's Katie's phone number. You can call her <laughs> and she will, she will send you to pretend Africa and you can eat your heart out.
1: <laughs> I just booked a couple of clients there for March.
0: <laughs> so this brings us to the sort of present decade. So we're going to go from 2010 to present. This is our, our last thing. Uh so dad, we're gonna start with you. We're all gonna what match
2: did you pick for this
0: All three I don't of know. us are,
2: all three of us are gonna say they acquired the rights to Star Wars.
1: Nope, we're not. <laughs>
0: Never really. <laughs> no, They're, but I, I did I
2: considered it. That with with as an add-on to Marvel, that makes them really a powerhouse. Uh Star Wars it's amazing to me because you know I remember when it first came out I saw the original uh, at the theater then and it sort of went away and then all of a sudden it's bigger than it ever was. Uh, the prequels and the spin-offs and stuff all the, the, they've really done a good job even some of the movies that some of the so-called critics panned I still found entertaining. I've pretty much seen all of them uh but i think that from a marketing standpoint again one cash flow cuz the movies and all that stuff but now they've got that crazy world down in in orlando where it feels like you're walking through the set and you know you got people walking around dressed up like jedis and stuff so it's um i i think that, that that's probably the biggest thing that i can think of in the last 10 years
0: yeah yes. you and and then they just opened the Star Cruiser too, so it's like that yeah, I mean it it was huge. It was huge for the parks. You have people walking require that.
1: You have people walking around like Jedi's and you have the cast members too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with that one. Yeah. I kind of want to change my answer again. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Katie, what did you pick?
1: Uh I went with the opening of the Grandestino Tower.
0: Oh wow! Um, I was I, I was waiting for the word that you were going to say, and I was going to be like, "Yep, we picked the same thing." That <laughs> was not it? Hundred percent, not it. <laughs> Continue.
1: I the the remodel of Coronado. Um, personally, any of my clients listening, anyone who knows me, Coronado is my absolute favorite moderate resort. I I love the feel of it. I did not so much love the feel of it when I stayed there for the first time. I thought it was way too big and getting around. Um, I feel like the add-on of the tower and the remodel of the hotel as a whole made it easier to get from the back to the front. But Number one, I have always loved Salvador Dali. He is my absolute favorite artist. And the fact that they took a lot of the influences, the Spanish and the Mediterranean influences, from Salvador Dali to create this tower just nail it for me. And I was lucky enough uh, two years ago, year and a half ago, to stay in the tower. And it is beautiful in there. Uh, just the feel of it. And you don't have to stay in the tower to be, you know, you could stay anywhere at at Coronado to be able to see it, but I just think it's a beautiful add on to that resort. And then on my list of places to go, I have not been able to eat there yet is Toledo, which is on the top. So it kind of adds to the um, restaurants on the top of the hotels, like California grill, where you could go to the top of grandestino tower, eat at Toledo and see the Epcot fireworks from there. So that was my pick. And they did pick the name based on the uh, Salvador Dali collaboration short Destino. Which I did watch for the first time a couple of months ago. I've never seen it. It's interesting.
0: Uh, it's, it's very...
1: <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's interesting. <laughs> well, you've got two very interesting guys making it.
2: <laughs> right? Shorts are always interesting.
0: Yes they are. <laughs> do you have the book, Katie, the Destino book by I do David not. Bossert? No. Oh man, you need it. And there's also a Disney editions book called, what is it called? Oh, it's just called Disney and Dolly. I'm like looking at my bookshelf right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have both of them. They're super, they're super awesome. I can put links to those in the show notes if anybody is interested in checking them out, but yeah, there's a lot of history behind the design of that resort and the, their, the Disney and Dolly connection. So, We stayed there one time. Yeah, but you stayed there when it sucked.
1: Yeah, you stayed yeah, there. I, didn't, you I probably stayed there when it sucked. I, Mom liked I, it. I didn't like it.
2: Well, it was a convention center, and then when you're there, and there's a lot of business people walking around in suits and stuff. It gave it an odd feel for you being there in shorts and flip-flops on your vacation. So I didn't – and then I wasn't really happy with the way the food court was set up. But that was just me. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, well, and that's so different. The, that's the one thing. And um, learning about the tower and the history, and um, for for me – why they built it one of the main reasons that they did build it is because Coronado is a convention center and they did realize that there were a lot of business people walking around and also business people that are maybe staying in Rancho which is in the back of the resort so they're having to get to the convention center which is at the front of the resort in their suits and florida rain not a good combination when you're supposed to be looking professional so the reason one of the reasons that they did build the tower is they connected it with the convention center. So now if you are going for a convention, you do have the option to stay in the tower and you actually never have to step foot outside to get to the convention center. So now it's a lot more hidden, if you will, that there's all these business people walking around. They go down the elevator, they walk the little hallway past the old check-in desk um, because now the check-in for all of the whole resort is in grand destino tower. So you walk past the old check-in desk, the gift shop, and you get to the convention center and you're never outside and no one's none the wiser that you're there for a convention.
0: I'll allow it. I'm joking. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Someday I'll stay there. Um, okay, so I surprisingly picked something I have yet to actually fully experience, but I picked... The opening of Pandora, Pandora World of Avatar, which happened in May of 2017, and the reason that I picked that is because it's amazing. No, <laughs> Camp Minnie Mickey, may it rest in peace, was so sad. <laughs> oh my gosh, so so sad. There was they had the Pocahontas like little wildlife friends or whatever it was called back there and some meet and greets, but it was kind of, it was, there was not a lot back there and it was just kind of a dead area of the park. So for one thing, it was great to get something in there that was active, you know, like actually being utilized. Well, the other thing too is animal kingdom is so hot it is consistently recording higher temperatures than the rest of the parks (laughs) and it brought inside rides to a park that desperately needed them and also at the same time they imagineered it so that you could experience it at night so now you have animal kingdom which was closing between 5 and 7 p.m. every night, depending on the time of year, opening past sunset, which you can fit a lot more people in the park. Like, you're entertaining people for a longer period of time, so they're not necessarily leaving to go, you know, they're not leaving at 5 and going to Epcot and bringing all of that congestion to the other parks at night. There's a reason to stay now, like, you're eating up a lot of of your audience so i just think that that made a huge difference for the flow of that park for the attendance of that park for the output of that park in terms of you know merchandise and food and all that stuff i just think that overall it affected all the other parks being able to have that one open after sunset so oh
1: yeah um i i will say regarding candora the first time i experienced it i was heartbroken because we actually left to come home the day before it opened um Oif. <laughs> yeah however we did stay at animal kingdom lodge that trip and saw uh sigourney weaver and james cameron in the hotel so that was really cool um, oh, sweet. Yes. Yeah. But the first time I ever did get to experience the, the the attractions and then Pandora at night, I was like, okay, like, Flight of Passage, amazing. Like, soaring on crack. It's the best thing Disney has ever done. Personally, I think it's better than Rise of the Resistance. I will fight anybody on that. But seeing Pandora at night, and I had a young kid at the time. I was like, okay, well, this is really pitch black and it's just neon stuff and I don't get it. I had never saw Avatar. As big of Avatar, as big of a movie Avatar was, I didn't get it. I came home, I watched Avatar, I get it now. It if, if you've seen the movie, you are brought into that movie with Pandora at night. It is just I feel so amazing. sad for you
0: that's one of the few movies that I've seen twice in the movie theater. Really? Just when it, yeah. When, when it came out. Yeah. There, I guess I have a thing for James Cameron because one of the other few movies I've seen twice in the movie theater was Titanic. So. And the third. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, yeah, I've seen Lilo and Stitch three times in the movie theater. That's the only time I've seen a movie three times in the movie theater. I, don't <laughs> oh, I was know. thinking Mama what? Mia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Mama Mia. Yeah, there you go. Hey. Um, but we went and saw it, like, on the IMAX, like, 3D, like, the whole thing. And it was a freaking experience. And we were like, oh, my God, that was insane. And we went back, like, another, like, week or two after that to do it again because it was just, like, I I need that in my life again because it was so insane. Just wow, wow, wow. But, okay, let me go around here just real quick before we close out and ask, Dad, did any of our answers surprise you?
2: No. No, not really. You're... <laughs> You guys both work there. You have a much more intimate feel for certain little intricacies. And we were there at much different times in our life. Some of the stuff that I looked at, like I said, I looked at as, you know, the dad that's paying the bill. Or as an investor of, you know, I own stock. And and just from a business standpoint, But um, but your stuff, you know, you guys have quite a few years of work in there and, and that. So your, your answers didn't surprise me at all.
0: Okay. Katie, how about you? Were you surprised by any of our answers?
1: I was not surprised with any of them. I will say, I think probably one of my favorite answers was the length of stay pass that I miss that so much.
2: That was a good answer.
1: <laughs> But no, nothing really surprised me. It does. I get it. Same thing. It it does make sense. You know, it's I didn't looking at it. I'm making my list. I'm going through stuff going. Yeah, that has an impact on me. This has an impact on me. And, you know, Marvel, love it. Star Wars. Meh. Um, (laughs) But I get why those would be answers. And those are good answers. (laughs) But no, no surprises.
0: Yeah, I feel dumb that I didn't think about. It didn't even cross my mind about the tickets, like both of the ticket answers, the going from the tickets to the passport, like the all day passport and the length of stay, like it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, no. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And nobody said like the opening of a water park. Nope. Nobody cares about the water park.
1: Honestly, (laughs) I love water parks. I... I'm sad that they got rid of the snorkeling thing at Typhoon Lagoon. That was probably one of my favorite things to do, even though the water was like 10 degrees up in there.
2: The water parks have, they have fabulous first aid stations.
0: (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We could do a whole show on all the first aid stations that we visited. (laughs) Literally not joking. (laughs) Um, Okay, great. Perfect. Well, I think those were really good choices. I'm super curious to hear what other people that listen to this come up with for themselves. So if you guys are in our Facebook group, definitely pop over there. Tell us what decade and what you picked for it. Because I'm betting that you guys could come up with other things that we didn't even think of. So with that, I'm going to say we're pulling up to our stop. I do want to take a minute to thank Katie for being here, even though she is in major prep mode for her big trip (laughs) in just a few days. Um, If you can definitely go over and follow her Facebook page and stay tuned in our Facebook group for her daily reports on how she's doing and what she's seeing while she's in Costa Rica. Service. Um, it,
1: depending on service.
0: So oh yes. I forgot. <laughs> yep, Pending on service. Yes. I have no then, idea course, what it's like we'll there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have a trip review when she gets back, just in case, um, so we can hear about the itinerary and how everything went. Um, and also, thank you, Dad, for joining us again. Hey. It's been
2: a while since you were here. It was fun. It gets my brain going having to think of all these things that you come up with.
0: Right. (laughs) we ask you on for the hard shows
2: but as you go down memory lane and you start thinking of things you actually remember more stuff than you thought you would you know more details and and that stuff like I've got all sorts of details in my head of all these different resorts now uh, that we've stayed at We, we could do just a show on all the resorts because I've been in almost every one of them (laughs)
0: as has katie Mm -hmm. she's slowly building up her she's almost there she's almost finished her resort challenge (laughs) two two left i think
1: two three three now because of riviera so three are left
0: wow they keep adding resorts they need to finish out the parks that they have but i digress we will talk about that in a future episode (laughs) okay um So yes, go over to our Facebook group, say hi, let us know what you would pick for a big, consequential, remarkable moment in Walt Disney World history. And with that, I'm going to say, see you guys real soon. Kongaloosh! Kongaloosh. That's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for riding the red line with us. Thanks to my dad for joining us. And of course, thank you to Katie from Pictures and Postcards Travel. If you are heading to the Disney parks or looking at booking a Disney cruise or Adventures by Disney experience, Katie can help you get the best prices and discounts along with custom planning and itineraries all at no cost to you. You can find her online at picturesandpostcardstravel.com or email her directly at kfisher@nyaaa.com. At now that you've had a listen, we invite you to join our Main and Magic Friends community on Facebook to share your thoughts about the episode. You're welcome to pop in to share ideas, stories, photos, and to connect with other Disney fans. You can also ask questions, get and give advice, post updates from the parks, and just have fun. Head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash and Magic to join. If you've got a comment or a question, you can email me at mainandmagic@gmail.com at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it out on social media and pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, and of course, in the Disney tradition around here, we don't like to say goodbye, so we say see you real soon.